0: Good morning and welcome to Taproot. My name's Leslie and I'm going to be reading the word for us today. When I finish reading, I will say, This is the word of the Lord. And as a church, will you prayerfully respond with, Speak, Lord, your servants here. I'm going to be reading all of Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith contrary. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. You have brought us here to this gathering this morning. Help our hearts and souls to be open to what is preached today and help us to be receptive and uh, use listening ears to hear all you have for us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, family. How are we? Uh, it is good to be with you all this morning. If you're a guest with us, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here in Taproot Church. Really glad to have you here uh, with us this morning. As a church, we exist to know Jesus and make him known. And so that's our our hope and prayer uh, here this morning as we gather to sing songs to Jesus, as we open up scripture and uh, preach from scripture, uh, just to know and make much of Jesus. And so um, we are in the middle of a series on local church membership. So in Tabert Church, uh, we practice uh, what we just referred to as a formal covenant membership. Uh, by which we communicate, kind of just try to clarify to one another uh, that we are committed to one another as followers of Jesus. And so our membership covenant and practices are, are shaped, they're formatted in light of our five core values. And so um, our overall like, reason for existence as a church is, as I said, to know Jesus and make him known. But then underneath that, we have five core values. Uh, they are, number one, the authority of Scripture Number two, the centrality of the gospel. Number three, the spirit and prayer led life. Uh, Number four, the simplicity of the local church. And then number five, the flourishing of humanity. And so uh, that's what we, um, yeah, that's kind of just shapes our life together. And so uh, thus far, we just kind of worked through an introduction on membership and just kind of laid out. Why we're doing this? Uh, one main reason being, of course, just this building and uh, the creation of bylaws, uh, which just creates some kind of weird formalities that we just kind of have to go through. Um, and so, one of them is just being able to reassess this. But uh, we also see within Scripture that there is an implied reality to local church membership. Uh, like you, in, in the New Testament, you you didn't have a follower of Jesus who wasn't deeply committed to the local church. You, you can't have one without the other. You can't, you can't be a follower of Jesus and then disagree to be uh, in the community of, of God's people, the church. And so you see this clear expectation throughout the New Testament, uh, we are now 2,000 removed, two thousand years removed from when the New Testament was written and the church first started. And so uh, there are things that we have to do to help to bring clarity to what that looks like. And so that's in part what this is. And so uh, we work through the authority of Scripture um, and uh, the, the centrality of the gospel. And, and really what we're trying to understand here is, is just this question of like, how is a community of disciples shaped? What shapes us, what, what leads us, what directs us, what guides us. And so, uh, thus far, we just understand that Scripture is our, our foundation. Jesus is our King. That's the good news. And today, we enter into this reality that the Spirit is our helper. And so, our focus for the next two weeks is going to be on this third core value of the Spirit in prayer-led life. Now, this is, this is challenging. Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to try to do more of a kind of like a 30,000-foot overview of who the Holy Spirit is and what the Spirit-led life is in particular. The challenge with this is that the Spirit and prayer-led life always go hand-in-hand. And so I don't want to venture too much into what we're um, looking at next week. This, this morning, I think, is going to feel very um, informative, and we have a lot of Scripture that we're going to work through, uh, but I think it's going to lay some foundation for us to then dig in a little bit deeper next week into what the Spirit and prayer-led life uh, actually entails, what it actually looks like, and, and in particular, um, focusing in on, on how the Spirit helps us to, to kill the flesh. Um, as Paul talks about in Galatians chapter five. So I'm, I'm excited to get that, that direction. But here, here's where we're going this morning. We have three points. The Spirit-led life is complex. Uh, we'll see number two, that the Spirit-led life is transformative. And then number three, that the Spirit-led life is cultivated. So that's our trajectory for this morning. Number one, the Spirit-led life is complex. It's complex. So I just, I just want to start off this morning by acknowledging this reality. That when it comes to talking about the Holy Spirit and prayer in general, we have to understand that this is crucial for us as disciples. We as followers of Jesus cannot actually continually obey and follow Jesus apart from the help of the Holy Spirit. And the way that the help of the Holy Spirit is cultivated in our lives is ultimately through prayer. So this is, this is a crucial reality for us, yet at the same time, it's also quite complex So just as an example, how many of you would like to trade jobs with me at this moment and come explain how the Holy Spirit works? Said no one ever, right? (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's incredibly complex for us to try to lay out and comprehend who the Holy Spirit is and how he works in and through our lives. I cannot stand up here this morning and say to us, if you do this, then this will be the result. Yet that's how we love to live life, and that's, and that's how we, we often want Christianity to be. That's how we want discipleship to Jesus to be. If I just simply do this, then this is going to be the result, and it's as simple as that. The problem is that it's not as simple as that. And so when it comes to the spirit-led life in particular, there's at least two areas of uh, complexity that I want to address specifically here. The first is this, is that there is a complexity in comprehension. And so what this gets at is just the reality that when we talk about the Spirit, I think many of us automatically just get confused. Or, or, or we, don't know how to, we don't quite know how to put words to who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. And I, I'm just, I'll tell you, here's how this worked out. Last night uh, we had friends over and we had a conversation about this. And just within a span of 15 minutes, our conversation went like, 13 different directions. And and what's even more challenging about it is that if you just kind of do a survey of the scriptures, you see the same thing. You you seem to see like a multitude of directions that you could possibly go when it comes to who, well, who the Spirit is is very clear, but as far as how the Spirit works and and, and what the Spirit does in and through our lives, it gets really complex and complicated. And so I, I just want us to like, Embrace that reality, right? That one of the great challenges we have from the get-go is just trying to comprehend the spirit. And so, though there's an impossibility to it in some way, shape, or form, we're still going to try. Okay. <laughs> so first, I want us to understand this. We need to understand that the spirit is a person. The spirit is a person. So when we, we when we refer to the Holy Spirit or the Spirit. We need to understand that the spirit is not an impersonal force working behind the scenes like some sort of Star Wars fantasy character. Right? We're not talking about that kind of force uh, that's just kind of this like out in the open, ethereal, like unexplainable thing. We're, talking, we're not talking about an it. We're talking specifically about a person. But then there is this tension that though we are talking about a person, specifically the third person of the triune Godhead, the Holy Spirit possesses a great amount of mystery. And and, and within who the Spirit is and what the Spirit does, there's there's a lot of mystery. Jesus puts it like this in John chapter 3. It's a text many of us are, are familiar with. But Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about salvation. And and listen to what Jesus says. He says in John chapter three, verse four, Nicodemus comes and says to Jesus, how can a man be born when he is old? Because the question was, how do I get saved? And Jesus says, you must be born again. He says, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So again, we'll just face the fact that these are challenging words. Jesus on the one hand says, do not marvel, but then he says something that's pretty marvelous. And 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 complicated when it comes to who the spirit is. He kind of he kind of, but at the same time he kind of lays forth this expectation that yeah, this is God and God does marvelous things. And so it's kind of like on the one hand you know you can marvel at like wow God does marvelous things, but at the same time like well yeah of course God does marvelous things. That's to be expected. And then, and then within this, what you have is just this mysterious reality of who the Spirit is and, and how Jesus describes the Spirit as the wind. Now, in, in Scripture, throughout the whole story of Scripture, you will often see these words used synonymously, wind and Spirit and breath. And so Jesus refers to the Spirit and says that the Spirit acts like the wind. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So there's just obviously this complex, mysterious reality when it comes to the person of the Spirit. But at the core, we understand the Spirit to be the third person of the triune God. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, We ask uh, our catechism question number three, and here's what it says just to remind us. Question three was, how many persons are there in God? And the answer is, there are three persons in the one true and living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. So when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, that's who we are talking about. Uh, I think it's important for us, just practically speaking, when we, when we talk about the Holy Spirit or, or try to talk about the Holy Spirit, to learn how to communicate and talk to and about him, not as an it, but as a personal reality, the, the, the personal third person of the triune God. Okay? Uh, so we see this working itself out in numerous ways, uh, particularly the scriptures begin with what we see as basically a triune dance. So turn, uh, if you would, to Genesis chapter one. And there, are, before I forget, there are, we are doing uh, the question and response again. So you all have the, the QR code in your bulletins or whatnot. You can access that. And as we're working through this, if you have questions about the Holy Spirit, which, you know, <laughs> I'm sure that'll be the case, feel free to ask those and I will respond. Note that we don't call it question and answer, it's a question and response. <laughs> Genesis 1, just the first two verses, here's, here's the, the dance that we see here. We see, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was, out, was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 1, uh, it tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so John, the Gospel of John, connects for us this reality of, of uh, this connection of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit together, equally, eternally, uh, before time existed, right? And, and so this is, when we're referencing who the Spirit is, this is what we're, what we're speaking about, okay? um, I move forward in the the New City Catechism, and uh, we'll get here in in a long time, but question number 36 says this, what do we believe about the Holy Spirit? Answer, that he is God, co-eternal with the Father and the Son, and that God grants him irrevocably to all who believe. And so the main thing I want us to, to get here in this first component of complexity is this, is that... The spirit is the personal third person of the Triune Godhead, and I want to encourage you to not be afraid to spend your whole life meditating on this reality. Right? Like that's, that's the posture that we need to learn how to embrace as followers of Jesus, is we're dealing with all at once a, a comprehensible yet incomprehensible God, and He is such that we can and should spend the entirety of our existence thinking through and meditating on these wondrous realities about who he is and what he has done. And that's, that's the invitation for us when it comes to the complexity of, of the spirit-led life. So complexity and comprehension. Second, complexity and experience. Okay, complexity and experience. Let's start this like this. How many, how many of you would say that you have experienced the Holy Spirit in some way, shape, or form? Ooh, this man's going up there. How many of you are terrified of an experience of the Holy Spirit? Some of you? How many of you have seen or experienced bad experiences with the Holy Spirit? I'm trying to think how to rephrase that question. Or you've experienced um, abuses, maybe, right? Or just various things. Or here, 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 here's what we're getting at Followers of Jesus universally agree that there is a Holy Spirit. It's, that's, that is without question. But beyond this very general agreement, there is a multitude of complexity. And most of that complexity flows from our experiences. So I think part of what we need to acknowledge as well in this gathering is that in this gathering, like the, all of us, there are probably as many experiences and various teachings on the Holy Spirit as there are people. So we could all have a conversation about who the Holy Spirit is, what the Spirit does, and how we've experienced the Spirit personally in our lives, and we're gonna get just a wide array of experiences. And those all, those all play into the complexity of how the Holy Spirit works, or, 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 or how we understand him to work at least. And so I think, primarily speaking, we have two Sides, if you will. Uh, The first is this some of us have been taught to be cessationists, which is just a theological word that basically says that the the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased. That they they ceased when the New Testament closed and the first set of apostles died. And so, uh, basically, what the cessationists would say is that there are no more gifts such as healing, uh, speaking in tongues. Uh, prophecy, uh, more of the kind of, I guess what we would just consider to be extra spiritual gifts uh, that, that would often kind of make us a little bit um, wary, I, I think is, is how it would work. Okay? So there's some who've been taught that this, this just doesn't work anymore, this doesn't exist anymore. Then the bulk of us, though, I think are continuationists, meaning we would believe that the, the work of the Spirit still continues in some way, shape, or form. The challenge that we have with this is how? How? Uh, Because again, there's just this wide array of experiences when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit in particular. And so we tend to just not be sure what it means for the gifts of the Spirit to continue. So here's, here's where some of this works itself out. In this room, there are some people here who have thought or maybe do think that we're too charismatic. Like, like, we sometimes clap. <laughs> sometimes. Right? Or, we've, had, we've got drums, and that's obviously associated with charismania, right? And on the other hand, there's others that don't think we're charismatic enough, the preacher being one of them. <laughs> you know, we could do with maybe a few more amens and whatnot, or clapping and so on and so forth, you know. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. Then within this, there's even tension when it comes to defining what charismatic means or what being spirit-filled means or or what obeying the spirit means or or what does it mean to that the spirit is present. So again, for example, you know, clapping hands or good sermons or emotional experiences or drums or how many of you have ever, you, you've been a part of a gathering, whether it's this one or another one and you walk away and you're like, man, the Spirit was present today. Well, why? Like what makes the Spirit more present on an exciting day than on a less exciting day? Right? See, because here, here's, here's how we've learned to understand the Spirit. We, we, we We understand his power and presence as it is equated to emotional experiences. So the the higher the emotion, the more the laughter, the more the excitement, the more the conviction, or whatever it may be, then the more powerful and present the spirit must have been. Or or we walk away and we're like, I didn't get much from that one. The spirit must have been like, eh, I'm going to a different church today. (laughs) See, there's, there's all of this complexity and tension when it comes to how this works itself out. So I just, some of my own experiences. Uh, the first church experience I ever had that I can remember, uh, I was 13 and I went to a youth winter camp uh, of a local church that tends to be a little bit more on the charismatic side of things. And so I remember walking into, it was, what's the place up by Sun Valley? Uh, Cathedral Cathedral uh, walking into the chapel, it was full of teenagers, 13, 14 year olds, uh, you know, people who appeared on the bus ride to be normal people. Then I walked into the room and they lost all normalcy. Like, uh, and you have to understand, no, I had no church experience. Hands, so their hands are raised, uh, they're jumping up and down like they're excited, uh, it was loud. Um, and then I, I remember like kind of nudging into the aisle and just standing there and like terrified a little bit, and they're speaking in other languages, like all of them, and not, and not like subtly, just like very vocally. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? And so it was, it was one of those churches that kind of leaned, uh, I think it leaned in the direction that, that speaking in tongues is like the mark of the reality of your salvation, and so I remember being terrified because I did not speak in tongues. I still don't speak in tongues. I tried numerous times, I, but I remember uh, Andy was the guy's name, and he was like, "You you got to speak in tongues, man. I'm going to pray for you." And so he like he he takes me and he like grabs my head and starts praying for me, and like it didn't work. <laughs> he's he's like, "Just talk. Just like open your mouth and just start." Talking, and I was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> and, and here's what's it's a, that's a terrifying experience for a 13 year old who's being told, like, like, if you don't do this, we've got some problems. Uh, and, and that's one experience that has kind of set the trajectory for me and my life as a follower of Jesus and, and my understanding of, of how the Spirit works. Uh, I remember then another church where there was experiences of just real attempts to just force the work of the spirit on people, uh, which is also just frustrating. Uh, I also at the same time though have had experiences that were good and unex- unexplainable so one example, uh, a few years ago, my wife and I we had a uh, trip down to San Diego and we went to a prayer gathering with um, uh, well, Dan, Braga, most of you have, have met or know of Dan in some way, shape, or form. He invited us to a prayer meeting with them. And there was a small room of like, I don't know, 13, 14 people. And one of the, there was just, we were just sitting there singing songs and just praying. And over and over and over again, what you have are just like these repeated like, like visions. Like they would just communicate, like, I, I just envision these things. And so you have these visions that are taking place. Um, and then one guy, one guy just spe- uh, specifically prays for Abby and I. And then he shares a, a passage with us that kind of relates to farm animals and all that stuff. And it was weird because at the time, Abby and I were, were, were desiring, like, we want to pursue farming in some way, shape, or form. Homesteading. We, like, we want to pursue this. We're not sure if we should, though. And this guy just shares this verse. He's never met us. He's never heard our story. And he pulled the verse out of Deuteronomy. No one pulls verses out of Deuteronomy. <laughs> right. Guess how many verses I have memorized from Deuteronomy? Zero. I've read Deuteronomy like 20 times. I'm not memorizing Deuteronomy though. And so just out of, out of nowhere, he pulls a verse out of Deuteronomy and it just speaks so specifically to what we were praying for. And I, like, I can't explain that in any other way than like, the Holy Spirit was doing something. And so I think what we, what we have within the complexity is this, is we have um, these experiences or not uh, that have left us fearful, frustrated, confused, and longing for more. That's at least where I am. I can, I can put all of those into the, the, just the same category. When it comes to who the Spirit is and what the Spirit does, I'm, I'm often fearful, I'm often frustrated, I'm often confused, yet at the same time, I'm longing for more. Like, you know, my experience with Danny and his church, like, I walked away from that, I was like, I gotta get more of that somehow, some way. Um, and yet at the same time, it's not something that can be forced. So, are we on the same page in regards to the complexity? Everyone feel nice and confused? Awesome. <laughs> I think the, the encouragement for us to take away from the, like the complex reality of who the Spirit is and what the Spirit does is that it's a lifelong journey. So if, if we can just learn to embrace, okay, we believe in the Holy Spirit, that's a good starting point. And then how, we're going to start learning what does it look like for us to be attentive to, to who the Spirit is and what the Spirit is doing. Okay? So that takes us into our second point, which is that the Spirit-led life is transformative. And so at this point, what I want to do is I just want to try to establish a baseline of expectations regarding the powerful impact of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Okay, so there are three particular areas that I want us to see the transformative power and nature of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to see personal transformation, communal transformation, and global transformation. Okay, so starting with personal And this is where we just have a lot of scriptures. You can either turn there and look with me or you can just write them down. I don't have them listed on the screen, so if you need them afterwards, you can just ask for my notes as well and I'll send them to you, okay? So when it comes to personal transformation, the first thing we need to understand about who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does is that he enables salvation. He enables salvation. The baseline for us to understand is this, is that if if it weren't for the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we would not be followers of Jesus. Like, it takes an actual miracle for us to become followers of Jesus. And that is, first and foremost, the work of the Holy Spirit. So a couple of of texts for us here. 1 Corinthians 12 is where we'll start. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says this in verses one through three. that to become a follower of Jesus is such a, a transformative reality and transformative experience that God Himself has to enact that in us. And that makes a lot of sense, especially if you think of Paul's Greco Roman context. Remember, as we learned last week, to declare Jesus is Lord was to declare that Caesar is not. So there was a need for some special, unique sort of boldness to claim then. That Jesus is Lord because it's a literal giving up of your life. And so Paul tells us that this reality begins because of the Holy Spirit. Like, I think that there is an unexplainableness to it. where There's just this reality that hits us. Like, Jesus is Lord. Nothing else is. No one else is. I'm going to obey and follow him with my life. He is my king. And the Spirit does that work. Um, Titus 3, 1 through 7. Also Paul, writing to Titus, who's leading a church in Crete. And this is what Paul says here in verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. He says, remind them, that is the church, to be submissive to rulers and authorities. That's kind of overall governing authorities. Uh, To be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish. Now just listen to the transforming language. whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So Paul's indication there is like, look, we used to live this way, but God, in his mercy and his grace, not because of anything that we had done, but simply because of his mercy and grace, the Holy Spirit regenerates, that is, makes our hearts new like makes us able to confess this reality that Jesus is Lord and transforms us into a new person and into new people. And so this is just the the base foundation for us to understand when it comes to personal transformation that the Spirit enables this reality in us. Second, we see in Ephesians, turn to Ephesians if you want, Ephesians 1 Ephesians 1, verses 11 through 14, we see this. We see that the Holy Spirit guarantees our salvation. So in in other words, not only does the the Spirit enable us to respond to Jesus as Lord, but the Holy Spirit is also the one who sustains us, who keeps us. Uh, Another way to put it is uh, Paul says that he who began a good work in you will see it to completion. And that's not just an individual thing. That's, that's a church that he's speaking to in, in uh, Philippi, Philippians, right? Philippians 1.6. But here's what he says in Ephesians. He says, uh, verse 11, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So He just simply says, look, this is the reality. That for you who are in Christ, for you who are living obediently to Christ, the reality that you are experiencing is this seal, this guarantee, this promised inheritance in the Spirit. Okay? Uh, third, we see that the Holy Spirit assures us of our life in Christ. Turn over to Romans 8. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read verses 1 through 16 here. Listen to what Paul says. So, actually, let's help. Remember, as we read scripture, the authority of scripture, what's an important rule for us? Don't read a verse, right? So, in part, then, we need to understand what's coming before. So, remember, Romans 8 is coming off of Romans 7, where Paul has kind of been working out this this argument and this kind of frustration that he's experiencing in his own life, Uh, and it's this battle, this war between the spirit and the flesh, and this is what we're going to talk more specifically about next week. But, but Paul is kind of, in Romans 7, he's, he's overwhelmed by his flesh. He kind of, he's asking this question, like, why do I keep doing the things that I don't want to do? He has this, this, this war waging. I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to obey Jesus. I want to glorify Jesus. I want to honor Jesus with my life, but I keep having this, this flesh battle. Anyone? Okay, yeah, good. We're on the same page. And then he says this, Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So he's dealing with this frustration, but then he comes to this reality, again, of who he is in Christ, and it just starts out with, like, there's no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. So whatever your fleshy battle was this morning or this week, you as a follower of Jesus need to be reminded that there is no condemnation for you. You do not walk in here this morning as a condemned soul having to figure out how to get right again. The Spirit has already done that. Amen. Yes, because we're more charismatic. (laughs) There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So Paul just communicates this reality of this battle between flesh and spirit. The question he's asking is, what are you setting your mind on? Right? Which is what we've been dealing with in Romans 12 as as well. Are are, are we, are, are our minds being transformed, being renewed? What are we setting our minds on? And he's saying we're either setting our minds on the things of the flesh or on the things of spirit and this is again this is what we're going to be dealing with specifically next week like that what we set our hearts and minds on matters it matters what we're thinking about it matters what we're dwelling on it matters what we're watching it matters what we're listening to it's actually shaping us into particular kinds of people and so is it of the flesh or is it of the spirit? But then there's this assurance that Paul wants to give to the church in Rome, this assurance that we here in Twin Falls get as well that, that the spirit bears witness to this reality of who we are in Christ and that is that we are sons and daughters. That this is, this is the guaranteed reality of, of who we are in Jesus. So I, I think just asking the question like, what do you want Like, ask yourself, like, do you want to obey Jesus? Do you want to follow Jesus? Like, that's an assured reality for you. You don't do that on your own, right? And so that's the the Spirit doing his transformative work in you, assuring you of your life in Christ. Furthermore, this is number four, the Spirit helps us. The Spirit helps us. So uh, John, Gospel of John This is Jesus' most extensive teaching on the Holy Spirit, if you read John 14, 15, and 16. And there's a lot of complex things that Jesus says. But here's what he says in verses 15 through 17. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Um, And then also, back to, to Romans 8, verses 26 through 27, Paul says this, likewise, the spirit helps in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so the whole point there just being this, that the Holy Spirit is our helper. And here's what we need to be assured of, is that as followers of Jesus, guess what? The Holy Spirit indwells every single one of us. Like, you don't need to, you don't need to go out and get the Holy Spirit. I don't have the ability to give you the Holy Spirit. Like, you don't have to ask a church leader's permission. I, 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 I think that's how I learned Things. Like, I need to ask permission from someone who's more spiritual than I am, and they have the power to give me the Holy Spirit. It's completely the work of God. And we are people who are, as followers of Jesus, like, this is just the reality. I wish I had more words to explain it, but I don't. It's just the reality. It just is. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and his role in our lives is to help us. And I think this is this is where, um, I don't know this is where it gets a little bit challenging. I guess for me personally, this is the question that came up: is do I live a life as a follower of Jesus that needs the help of the Spirit? Like, do we live lives that actually need the help of the Spirit? Because so often, I think, again, just speaking for myself, like I I I, I live. In my own power and my own strength. Yeah, at the same time, Jesus' words, right, in John fifteen, there are uh, that if you don't abide in him, you can do nothing. And so it's the the Holy Spirit that, that helps us in this life as followers of Jesus. Um part of the reason we maybe not even part. One of the main reasons we struggle to destroy the flesh in our lives is because we're trying to do it on our own. Right? We, we can't kill our sin on our own. Like, we, we can't just stop. There's an actual war that we're waging and it's being waged against us and we need help. And the Spirit is that Helper. Um, question 37 in the New City Catechism says this, how does the Holy Spirit help us? Answer, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, comforts us, guides us, gives us spiritual gifts and the desire to obey God, and he enables us to pray and to understand God's word. All right, final final, uh, fifth point here on, on personal transformation. The Holy Spirit actually changes us. He actually does this transformative work. Uh, Galatians, Galatians 5 says, here, I'll just read verses 19 through 24. Paul says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I love Paul's finality in that. He's saying, like, this is the reality for us who are followers of Jesus. We we actually have a transformed life in which the the flesh has been crucified. Now, it's it's still a process, but it's also a reality. And so there's actual transformation that takes place, killing the flesh, living in the spirit. Can't wait to talk about that next week. Got to move on, though. Number two, uh, communal transformation. Um, All right, Romans 12. Yeah, we'll just read this. Romans 12, three through eight. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, so there's there's a church in mind in which Paul is speaking to. As a matter of fact, in Rome, uh, it's probably five or six churches uh, that consist of about 30 people or so each. Roman, uh, the letter to Romans was meant to be a, a letter that went to all of these little house churches throughout, throughout Rome. So he says, for, the, for, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one among y'all, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Then he says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. That's like a concise statement of Genesis 5. And so what Paul is giving a picture of here is just a transformed community. Now, this is hard for us to grasp, but like, if you want to be intrigued, just go research Roman culture in the early, uh, the, the first century AD. And what you'll see is just the only way that this people could be together is because of the transformative work of God. Because, because you, have, you have within the churches in Rome and, and all throughout the Greco-Roman world, you have, you have men and women, you have slaves and free, you have Greeks and Jews, Gentiles, you have all of these, these backgrounds of people that just hated each other and didn't want anything to do with each other, had no reason to be with each other. And Paul's giving instructions for them to know how to live with each other. Because all of a sudden, they find themselves transformed by Jesus doing life with people that they never thought they would do life with. And I think that it's the same for many of us. Maybe maybe it's not quite the extremes, but I think in various ways, there's some of us in here who have found ourselves like, man, I don't have a lot in common with a lot of people here. And maybe you don't but what we do have in common is Jesus. Right? Like, like, and that's what, that's what binds us together. And the Holy Spirit enables that reality to where, you know, maybe, yeah, you get together and you have nothing else to talk about but Jesus. That's a good thing. Right? Um, I want to read also a little bit of 1 Corinthians 12 in regards to communal transformation and Oh, we'll see how far I go here. Start right here in verse four. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Okay, so... Notice what what Paul is communicating there is this, is that each member in the local church is given the Spirit in, in some way, shape, or form, some measure, some manifestation for what purpose? For the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Then he kind of goes into this whole thing about the body and how one part can't say that it's more important than another part and another part can't say that it's less important than another part. Our whole body is important, right? Like, we understand this. Like, just the whole of our body is important in various ways, okay? Then he concludes with this. Now, you all are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? The answer would be no. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. And what's the most excellent way? Love. Yeah. So, so love is a gift of the Spirit, right? That's the first gift of the Spirit, or fruit of the Spirit, love, is over all of these, and then under love... They all function and operate to whatever degrees the Spirit wishes and desires to give them, but for the purpose of building up the body. And and this is why this is important for us, because we need to learn as followers of Jesus in one body to use the gifts that we've been given for the building up of this body. Like, like stop neglecting whatever God is doing. Uh, I think it's so easy for us to, I don't know, to fall into some kind of like, woe is me, I'm not whatever category. And it's like, stop, stop. No, you don't have the same gift as your neighbor, but that doesn't mean that you don't have the spirit in you. And, and part, of, part of what we're supposed to be as a body of Christ is, is that people are celebrating the diversity in the body. Like, it would be really boring if we all had the same gift. Boring. It's just like the world around us would be really boring if we were just all the same. And so we we celebrate and we press into the diversity that God has made, and the community is transformed. Now, here's here's what I want to also clarify. This doesn't just work itself out in quote-unquote spiritual things. One of my favorite passages in the Old Testament is in Exodus. Uh, not something I've memorized, but I just know where it is. Exodus 35. If, if you're intrigued, turn there. You've got to be intrigued, right? It's Exodus. <clears throat> the way that God works in and through his people to build up his people is very multifaceted, and the gifts that he's given to us are to be used within the context of the local church, but also outside of the context of the local church. Uh, As a matter of fact, our, our gatherings, just so you know, our gatherings are, they tend to be geared towards only a few gifts. Chances are your gifts are probably being used outside of the church building and the church gatherings, but, but that doesn't mean you're not using whatever you're using to build up the church. Does that make sense? Now, listen to this, Exodus 35. Because we tend to also just want to associate the spirit with spiritual things. It says this, Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of that guy, of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. Like, I, I, I just think that's cool. I don't know, if you don't find that to be cool, then whatever, but the Spirit of God fills these men to do, like, real work. Not like construction workers and... The one guy's sewing things. Like, and yet, that's, that is spirit of God work. And I, and, and I think you need to transfer that to whatever your work is. Okay? So whether you're like, maybe you're you know working with computers. I, I, I love it and hate it when people who work with computers are like, tech jobs try to explain their jobs to me. they're like, I don't... I have no idea how to comprehend what you just said, right? But you're able to build a website and, like, that's amazing. Like, I, I, I literally have no category for it or ability for it. Like, like, some of you can find a screw on the ground and build a tractor. <laughs> right? Like, you're like, oh, scrap piece of metal. I'm going to build something with it. Like, how? Like, how? Don't you need instructions or like a manual or like? Nope, just gonna build it. Those people also frustrate me. Uh, you see my point? There is a variety of gifts that we are to celebrate and encourage and see the, the body transformed through. Final, final one is this global transformation. Uh, Jesus says this in John 14, verse 12. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and listen to this, and greater works than these he will do, because I'm going to the Father. So Jesus says, I'm going to the Father, I'm sending the Holy Spirit, and you, collectively, church, are going to do greater things than I did. Right? Come on, you know the emoji? Mind blown, right? Right? Here's how uh, Jared Wilson in his book, Supernatural Power for Everyday People puts it. Suppose Jesus meant not that we'd be raising the dead more than he did and walking on water and healing more blind people, but instead that he would be more effective through his spirit in dwelling billions of people around the world over multiple centuries than he would by incarnating among thousands in one region in one lifetime. (laughs) The power of of the Spirit is working in us individually and collectively as a people to bring global transformation. We're a part of a really powerful movement in ways that we can both see and not see. That's the reality of the Holy Spirit in us. Final point, uh, the Spirit-led life is cultivated. cultivated. Uh, so again, we're going to focus on on this all next week, but for now, I just want us to know a couple of things as we close. And the first is this, is that the spirit-led life must be pursued. Uh, it doesn't just happen. Like, as, as with anything in life as a follower of Jesus or in life as general, in general, things don't just happen. We have to cultivate. Like, if we want to cultivate intimacy in relationships, relationships. We have to pursue that. We have to be intentional with that. It doesn't just happen to us. If we want to learn how to to hear and attend to and obey the Spirit, we're going to have to pursue this. And so Paul says things like, keep in step with the Spirit. That's an intentional uh, command to the church. You, church, keep in step with the Spirit. Know, Know what the fruits of the Spirit are and keep in step with those realities. Uh, In in Ephesians 5, he tells us to be filled with the Spirit. And the idea is of this continually being filled with the Spirit. So it's not just like a one-time thing at Pentecost. It's an everyday reality that we're to be living into as followers of Jesus. Every single day, knowing I need the Spirit in me to follow Jesus today. And so we pursue and we cultivate. We don't just sit back twiddling our thumbs, hoping that the Spirit is somehow, some way, going to do something to us. And, here, and here's the thing is like that becomes again that becomes really defeating because we get to a point where we're just like ah, I, just, I just must not have it like I guess I got passed over something like that and no that's that's not true at all we're just not cultivating anything like, we're not reading scripture we're not praying, we're not living in community, so on and so forth. Like These are the ways in which we're supposed to cultivate, which is actually my next sub-point here, that the Spirit-led life is pursued through practices. Things such as prayer, confession, fasting, and Sabbath. Uh, there's intentionality. This last week I was in Montana with a group of ten other pastors, and we spent three days uh, developing a rule of life. Uh, not rules, uh, but a general like way of living, uh, which is a way of cultivating the work of the spirit in us because we're, we're aware like man the spirit he's there how are we going to cultivate this reality in ourselves and again this is where we're going to get next week here's where i want to close uh, there's probably risk involved meaning none of this is going to come easy like, we're not gonna go home today and be like, all right, Spirit, let's do this. I mean, it may be, I don't know, that could happen because Spirit's the Spirit, he'll do what he wants. But chances are not. Chances are we're going to have to have a long process of, of cultivating and learning how to, to silently listen in moments of Stillness okay? Yeah. Uh, here's, here's how Sam Storms puts it. Sam Storms wrote a book called Practicing the Power, uh, which I highly recommend, okay? Uh, it might sound creepy, Practicing the Power, like what is this about? It's really good. It's one of the, I would say it's probably the most balanced approach I've ever read to just who the Spirit is, how the gifts work, so on and so forth. And here's, here's what he says. I do have this, okay? He says, I tend to live by an unspoken 11th commandment, one that is not found in the Bible but guides my actions and thoughts all too often. I call it the 11th commandment of Bible-believing evangelicalism, and it goes like this. Thou shalt not do at all what others do badly. It's the habitual response that we have to completely reject something when we see someone else doing it in a way we feel is wrong or manipulative. Kind of a kind of a throw the baby out with the bathwater concept, right? I've seen it abused, I've experienced it the wrong way, so I'm just gonna put the whole thing out. And he says we have to reject this. And then he goes on. God is not as easily offended by our errors and messes as you and other people are. Hold on to that. God is not as easily offended by our errors and messes as you and other people are. We tend to project onto God our fears and anxieties. We envision him wringing his hands in worry and consternation, mumbling under his breath, oh my, I hope he doesn't mess things up. These humans are always the sort who take things too far. They believe me for things I never promised. What will become of my reputation if someone does something silly or stupid? He delights in courage and faith and the risks we take to avail ourselves of all that he has made available. He doesn't expect perfection. He wants passionate people who are devoted to his glory. If we stumble along the way, perhaps falling flat on our faces at times, he's not disappointed, angry, or embarrassed by our failure. He's gracious. And so we get to learn how to practice. And that's what we're gonna talk about next week.